0: This is an ABC podcast. Lock the doors.
1: We would expect to see some rather concerning numbers for a while.
2: I will continue to stand up for these regions that I know and love. We know how important it is for the parliament to meet. Isolation, testing.
1: Being bored is much better than being in intensive care.
2: Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RN Drive and Afternoon Briefing. And I'm David Spears, host of Insiders,
0: filling in for the great Fran Kelly. And soon we're going to be joined by the Deputy Editor for ABC South Australia, Nick Harmson, to, of course talk about the hard lockdown that's just been imposed this week to deal with the latest coronavirus outbreak there.
2: Yeah, look, just after Victoria came out of the the hard lockdown, huge story there. But let's talk about what's going to be central and focus the attention of Canberra, our country, perhaps even the world in the next couple of days and hours. Huge story. Today, we're recording this on a Thursday morning. Uh, the government will release a long awaited report into alleged war crimes committed by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. We don't have the report yet as we're recording and we, we wouldn't go into lots of detail anyway because this is you know, a political podcast, but we will just give you sort of why it matters, right? The report by In- the Inspector General of the Australian Defence Force, Paul Brerishon, has, has focused on more than 50 separate allegations of war crimes. We know and the ABC understands that the final report will recommend further action, including criminal proceedings against at least 15 people, which is Very, very significant. Mm. The inquiry focused on the treatment of individuals who were clearly non-combatants or were no longer combatants, and that's key too. And essentially what we can expect are sweeping changes to Australia's special forces, the SAS. Uh, They're going to be considered by the army and the government. The Prime Minister spoke about it. He's been trying to prepare us for the worst because this has happened in our name. And this, of course, is something that everyone's very concerned about. Here he is.
0: Of course, uh, this report um, will be difficult news and all of our partners must be assured and those around the world who rightly hold the Australian Defence Forces in high regard, I believe by the process we're outlining
1: shows why that is the case. That in Australia, we deal with this stuff.
0: Yeah, look, I think that was the Prime Minister really preparing, prepping the nation. Uh, And Importantly, I think it was right for him to warn about what was coming, telegraph that we're going to be shocked by this Um, the the balance for the Prime Minister, for the government generally, will be, yes, being very transparent about this, but not completely undermining confidence in the Australian Defence Force along the way. I do think the government uh, and defence deserves a tick for at least the way they've done this. This has been an entirely independent process from Paul Brereton. It's taken its time. Yes, four years sounds like a long time. But the experience around the world in dealing with these things, most recently I think with the British government, these things are incredibly complicated to get witnesses on the ground in a place like Afghanistan when you're talking about issues from 10, 12 years ago. Inevitably, that's going to take a long time. I think we need to shout out to the incredibly important investigative journalism that's been done by the ABC's uh, Mark Willacy, Dan Oakes, Sam Clark, Andrew Green, Nick McKenzie from the nine newspapers, um, you know, th- there's a list of Chris Masters and others who've really Really brought to light through the whistleblowers in defence, um, you know, well, they, they've really taken an extraordinary risk. That's taken some time for them to have the confidence to do so. But in in effect, they may have, they may have ended up in, in ensuring the survival of the special forces by doing this. Um, from what their reporting tells us, it'll be a small handful, but a, a large number of shocking incidents, war crimes, allegedly, that we're going to see uh, exposed here. It'll take then a further, well, probably years and years before we see prosecution.
2: And they will be difficult to actually... be able to see through as well, right? Because this is a really complex legal yep. process. So, If you speak to any lawyer who's worked in war crimes, international law, this is not easy easy to achieve. No, But I think it is... I'm glad you mentioned the whistleblowers because I've, I've got lots of text messages every night when I host RN Drive, people saying, we've got to be careful with this. There's a lot of mm. trepidation around this because these people went and forced... In, in our name, for our country doing this difficult work, let's not um, slur them or, or hurt and damage our special forces or our army. I think it's important to mention the whistleblowers because these these guys... The good guys. They're the good guys, yeah. right? They've gone and done all of that. To protect the reputation. And look, you've also got to remember, I'm glad you
0: pointed that out too, there are plenty of... Uh, you know, highly respected good soldiers who have been living with this for years now, this cloud over their unit's reputation, uh, that hopefully this process will help clarify. It's not going to be pretty. We know that. Uh, but this is really important that this be done. And I think it's also a good thing that the Prime Minister has reached out to other world leaders, including the leader of Afghanistan, uh, and spoken to him in advance of this report's release. I think this is It is going to hurt us reputationally, internationally, the role of, uh, you know, the standing of our defence force. But at least we can say we're being transparent about this. We're acknowledging what's gone wrong. We've done this in a very thorough, thorough way uh, and we're committed to improving it. The other thing, uh, just to note, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what's in this about the, the higher up the chain of command, what was known and when, and what was done about it. Um, We we know bad stuff happened on the ground, but what happened further up the chain I think is going to be really interesting to see.
2: So this will all emerge, as I say, we're recording this Thursday morning. David Spears will have more on Insiders. We'll (laughs) have more on all our programs. But let's stay in the defence space because Scott Morrison visited Japan this week. This is the first visit uh, our Prime Minister has made internationally uh, after the coronavirus Mm. uh, pandemic and obviously he's been managing that for many months now in this country. He went to meet the new Prime Minister in in, um, Japan and they reached an in-principle agreement on a defence pact. David, tell me, why Japan? Why now? The Prime Minister's... This isn't an easy thing. He's now in two weeks yep. of quarantine in the lodge. He'll be, you know, doing the the equivalent of parliamentary Zoom for yeah. question time when it, when it's back. It's pretty, Which will be
0: fascinating yeah. and uh, fun for us to watch. But, look, I think the Defence Pact itself, yes, it's important. Uh, reciprocal Access Agreement, it's called. It'll mean, you know, more joint military exercises, use of each other's defence bases, you know, another step towards... We're not quite at a formal alliance, but it's, you know a step in that direction. I think the symbolism, though, and you touched on it there, is really what's important here. He wanted to be the first leader to meet this new Japanese Prime Minister, the first. In this global pandemic environment, that's a pretty big deal, that he's committed to a face-to-face meeting, uh, and, and that requires two weeks of quarantine Now that is now underway back home. He wants Japan to know, he wants China to know, he wants the world to know that Australia and Japan are drawing closer together and that he puts... A lot of importance on this relationship.
2: There's a lot of bit of bit of ambiguity, wasn't there? Though uh, in relation to our troops and uh, the consequences for you know the The death death penalty. 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 There was, and And I've got. I'm going to call this out. The prime minister was asked very directly in the press conference in in Japan about that, and his answer was one of the worst answers I've seen. Like, it was so bureaucratic deliberately. and I
0: thought he was actually a bit snippy in in his responses. Um, Look, this has been the sticking point in this agreement, uh, which has been talked about and worked on for six years, is, you know, will Australian soldiers, in the event um, uh, they commit a serious crime, uh, face the death penalty or not? And that's not something Australia's going to cop. Now, we're told that it's all fine, it's been sorted out in the final agreement. We haven't seen the text of the final agreement. uh, So it is a bit hard to... um, Look, you know, we take them at their word, but it'd be nice to see the agreement. And I think, look, yes, it it was difficult for Scott Morrison standing on Japanese soil to say, um, to go into this death penalty issue, right? He doesn't want to cause offence there. Mm. But I I think we do need to see what protections are in the agreement uh, around this issue. It's important.
2: Yeah, it is important. I don't feel like we have that answer yet. Look, on Wednesday, a Chinese official gave Australian media a list of grievances mm. that Beijing has and this with is Canberra. this is one of them, the <laughs> this Japan is... relationship. This is one. It's a long list. I'll just give you a couple. Mm. Banning Huawei from the rollout of 5G over unfounded national security concerns foreign interference laws viewed as targeting China and in the absence of any evidence uh, calls for an inquiry into the origins of coronavirus, siding with the US and an anti-China campaign, speaking out on the South China Sea, there is more, there Mm. is more, there is more. And we know that um, the treasurer Josh has given a speech, kind of saying, yeah, "Olive Branch." We want to we want to get we want to deal yeah, with. Yeah, we want to be able to
0: have a a more normal relationship. Essentially, is what he's saying on the trade front. On the trade front, but we're not going to back off on these things. Now, look, this list that the the Chinese embassy has has issued. They're not new. This is not news in terms of what they're peeved about. Pk, we've known. You know, they're they're unhappy about Huawei, the interference laws, the um, you know the the restrictions on Chinese foreign investment, on and on. We know all of that. um, But the 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 way it was compiled, I think the language around it, and it, it demonstrates for us in a one pager how far reaching the obstacles are in the relationship right now so it's just one or two things that you can fix these are this is a string of of issues that are that are causing grief in the relationship and the prime minister's response which i think was probably fair enough uh, he said look you know if, if these concerns um in this document that's that's been released these are a list of Australia acting in our own interests. In other words, we're not going to back off on Mm. any of these things. I don't think Australia can. It's not like we're going to suddenly say, oh, actually, let's let Huawei get involved in Mm. in the 5G.
2: We'll dump out foreign interference laws. Yeah,
0: let's let Chinese investment, uh, foreign investment happen, you know, without scrutiny. Uh, Look, I think you can argue, uh, yes, some government backbenchers could be more careful in their language. I think there's an argument around how they handle the calls for the inquiry into the the outbreak of COVID in Wuhan. Um, But the the bulk of these issues aren't things Australia under either side of politics is going to shift on. So we see demonstrated here, don't we, um, the scale of the obstacles in the relationship and the fact that they're not going to shift easily.
2: No. Look, before we bring in our guest to talk about the, uh, the hugest domestic story on our watch, which is the South Australian lockdown and this potential second wave of coronavirus... Huge story happened this week, big Mm. development in a very long-running saga over the government's income averaging algorithm nicknamed RoboDebt, which some of you may have even listening right now been victim of. Uh, It saw hundreds of thousands of people incorrectly issued with Centrelink debt notices, incredibly stressful for so many people, even people with a lot of privilege dealing with Centrelink. Uh, I've dealt with Centrelink and I find it stressful. I I cannot imagine being poor and being told you have a, a debt and having to deal... Um, with with that and just, you know, just being roadblock after roadblock. It's since emerged this process was illegal and the government had advice from the ATO to that fact. And on Tuesday, the Commonwealth agreed, get this, to pay 112 million to 400,000 former welfare recipients as part of what was broadly a $1.2 billion class action case. This is a big deal, David. This is a huge amount of money. I mean, it's... So the $1.2 billion includes
0: paying back $720 million, $400 million in unlawful demands being wiped and, as you say, $112 million in compensation on top of that. Um, and, look, this is the financial side of it. What I suspect we'll never really know is the imp- impact this had on, on people's lives, on their mental health. Uh, you know, some have suggested um, quite a number of suicides were linked to that. I think this is difficult to prove, but th- these are the unknowns, that sort of toll. Um, yet, despite the scale of this stuff up, uh, who's responsible, PK? No one's lost their job. Nope. I mean, we did get an... Apology of sorts Ish. some months ago, Ish. but we're not going to get one now for legal reasons or anything further for for, for legal reasons. I, I, this is yeah, it's hugely embarrassing for the government. It's hard to think of stuff ups this big uh, on this scale, not just in terms of the cost to taxpayers, um, but as I say, to the well being, to the mental health of of so many. Uh, you know, the most vulnerable in society. I mean. Christine Holgate loses her job over the Cartier watches. I know others have pointed this out, but it's a pretty
2: fair old comparison, isn't it? When, you know, we're talking about a $1.2 billion stuff-up. It's incredible. Look, you mentioned the suicides, and again, very difficult to verify, but the Minister for Government Services, Stuart Robert, is refusing to concede that people took their own lives as a result of the scheme. Um, Now, okay, I understand it's very difficult, but to... to say what he said, which is that it didn't happen... Well, you can't prove that. No. no it, it's, it, it's also just really tone deaf.
0: Yeah, look, it, it is one of those things. It's inevitably, uh, you know, difficult to prove what's going on in someone's life uh, at, at that moment. But, um, you know, surely this added to enormous strain on some really vulnerable uh, Australians. I mean, people... You know, a lot of people—not everyone—but you, you get a debt notice from the government. You think, well, they—they know what they're talking about. They obviously, you know, have—you uh, know—they've the, got the systems that work, and I must owe this money. So, gosh, I'm going to have to find this money. It's—it's um, it's incredible strain on people who um, didn't know they were wrongly issued with debts, and they were. Now, look, the, the government's defence is to say, well, hang on, um, this income matching system has been used since Hawke-Keating years. They're the ones who automated it, though. Yeah, it's not the same. No. And don't forget, who was the social services minister when they took that decision? Scott Morrison, Mm. um, who then went on to be treasurer, who then went on to be prime minister. Um, Look, that's perhaps one of the reasons why there won't be any heads rolling at a ministerial level. Right, because he can't roll his own head? (laughs) No, he's not going to (laughs) roll his own head. But, uh, look, you know, uh, Labor's calling for a royal commission into this. I doubt that's going to happen, but... um, Let's just say it's a good thing Parliament's not sitting this week because I reckon this would have been red hot in the House of Reps.
2: Let's bring in our guest. Nick Harmsen is Deputy Editor of ABC South Australia. <laughs> Nick Harmsen, welcome to the party room.
1: Hello, nice to be in a party virtually.
0: (laughs) Well, it has to be virtual for you, Nick, I suppose, because you and everyone else in uh, South Australia now can't party for uh, six days, at the very least, I suppose. Uh, Look, it is the most hardcore lockdown, uh, you know, compared to anything we've seen in Australia, including Victoria. Hopefully it doesn't last as long as that. But how are people feeling about the, the
1: lockdown at the moment? Look, I think um, it's fair to say people are pretty anxious because there hasn't been a lot of time to absorb this news. We've really seen the announcement happen, and then as of effect, the um, the restrictions the, the restrictions took effect as of midnight. So very quick turnaround, and we didn't actually see the the rules, the precise definitions of who is an essential worker, what sort of business can open, um, until two hours after they impose these restrictions. So it's been pretty tricky for people, I think, to wrap their head around it. Um, Certainly, I think there is generally a pretty uh, big sense of goodwill towards uh, the authorities in this state, given um, our history here with this disease. Um, So I think people are prepared to be patient for a while and write it out, but I guess the, the test going to come in the next three or four days when we find out what's happening with the number of cases and whether this is really going to be um, six days. Uh, it's not a lockdown. We're not calling it a lockdown. Mm. It's a pause. It's a pause. circuit breaker. A circuit breaker. A <laughs> circuit breaker. Well, this is the interesting <laughs> um, thing,
0: right? Just as an observation, it... It's fascinating from a national perspective that you've got a Liberal Premier doing this, even if it's called a circuit breaker, not a a hard lockdown, um, because Liberals typically, uh, you know, have have balked at the the sort of Victorian approach. It's better to have the New South Wales approach and and live alongside this and have good contact tracing and so on. But the the, the arguments being given here, and we'll play a little of the um, South Australian Chief Health Officer, uh, Dr Nicola Spurrier, is that there's something perhaps a little bit different about this strain of the virus. Have a listen.
2: We need to stamp this virus out at this point. We haven't had it in our state for many months and we need to get back to that wonderful place where we could enjoy the things that we all enjoy. Unfortunately, we now have it in our state and this is what we must do.
0: Yeah, she says this is uh, transmitting very, very rapidly, less than 24 hours incubation and so on. This is a p- potential new strain. Now, I know Stephen Marshall's uh, you know, pointing to this as well, the Prime Minister too, that this could potentially be a new strain. I've got to say, though, health experts and even mm. the, the acting chief medical officer, Paul Kelly, are casting a bit of doubt on this. If there was really a new strain, we might have heard about this <laughs> before now. What yeah, do you
1: indeed. Indeed. And look, I think, you know, time will tell whether it is a new strain or not, but certainly I think the behaviour um, of of it, of this particular outbreak um, has given them pause for thought and Uh, you know, the the usual time processes that you might have for contact tracing, I think they have literally just run out of time. Uh, And I think that is partly the logic behind the short, sharp lockdown, is that if they can buy some time for contact tracers to get everyone um, who might have come into contact with infected people um, in their own self-isolation, then perhaps we can ease things off. Um, You know, maybe that is overly optimistic, but that's certainly the thinking. If you go back and actually look at the chains of transmission of this, it's actually quite fascinating so they have worked out that this particular um strain of the virus if you like that the genomic testing has told them it's come from a traveler uh who returned to SA on the 2nd of November uh and they're already at the fifth generation of this virus in terms of spread mm-hmm. so that tells you that That's within quick. you know a couple of weeks it is it has gone quickly uh and there are a couple of other things of real concern um, the cleaner in the hotel who caught this virus and we think has spread it to a couple of security guards and most of her extended family she didn't display symptoms. the security guards didn't display symptoms. Um, we clearly still have a bit of, bit to learn from the Victorian situation because uh, you know one of those security guards was um, allowed to work in a in a pizza bar. Uh, someone has ordered to take away pizza from that pizza bar and caught the virus. So mm. um, it is spreading, and it is spreading in ways that is is getting ahead of the contact tracers. Hence, this decision, I think, is that you know they, they would rather act quickly um, to do something rather and, and than wait and see this what the happens. PK will
0: have some thoughts on this as a as a fellow Victorian. Um, A lot of comparisons being made between the Victorian experience and South Australia. I I suspect a lot of Victorians would probably look at this and go, maybe if we'd gone... I mean, it's all well in hindsight to say this. If we'd gone as hard, as fast as South Australia Mm. uh, has done here, maybe things would have been... Different. It does seem. Most agree this is the right way to go.
2: Yeah, I think I think that it, that is a very widespread view actually. Because in Victoria, what happened was it was it was doing all of this work of multiplying itself, running wild in in the um, you know public housing uh, because of the spread. The same leak out of hotel quarantining effectively, and. And then we had this sort of suburb by suburb shutdown, uh, stage three. Then it went up to stage four. It just kind of, I think the timing of of just coming out of the first national lockdown, it was a very brief period for Victoria, mm. meant that the government here in Victoria was more reluctant about just how to go about it because we'd just come out of another one. So let's be honest here. South Australia has the advantage of watching the mistakes of the Victorian government.
0: Sure, yeah, and so does... The Prime Minister, I reckon it's worth pointing out how his language has changed. Don't forget for months he was saying, uh, this is him in July, your protection against the virus is not shutting things down all the time. You know, He kept telling us New South Wales is the gold standard. Uh, That's where you've got to get everybody to with the tracing and and testing uh, that they do in New South Wales. They've had bigger outbreaks at the Crossroads Hotel than what we're seeing in South Australia right now. And they didn't shut the whole state down. His position now in relation to South Australia is, well, I can understand what they're doing. Mm. Um, it, it you know, Maybe this has something to do with it being a, a, a Liberal government there in South Australia, yeah. but maybe he's also learnt from... Uh, you know, he Column A, column learnt. B. Yeah. Indeed. And, look, I think, you know, I don't think
1: governments necessarily have the, their, their eyes first to the politics in this, but clearly, uh, you know, Dan Andrews has emerged from this and, if we can believe, published opinion polls is, um, uh, you know, is still sitting pretty well and mm-hmm. I think um, there'd be an eye to that. There'd be an eye to the fact that... Uh, you know, we are a month away from Christmas here and no-one here is going to thank uh, a government for locking them down over Christmas. So better to go hard now than to wait and and have us in lockdown over Christmas. Or have have a rip
2: over Christmas, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. And and, and the the other side of this is um, politically the opposition here is certainly not making any noise that uh, could be seen as being critical of the government. They're saying, look, you know, we're out of your way. We will do whatever you need. Um, to get through this, Um, they've said, look, let's, you know, they've suggested to the government, let's cancel our estimates hearings. Um, So they're they're taking a very different approach. Very uh, different. Very different uh, to the opposition opposition in
0: Victoria. Let's just backtrack onto the hotel quarantine uh, issues here around the staff, security guards, um, uh, cleaners, kitchen staff and so on who work in in hotel uh, uh, quarantine, in these quarantine hotels. So, you know, we all know enormous criticism of Dan Andrews for what happened in, in Victoria, you know, inquiries, set up and and all of that's still going Uh, surely some lessons could have should have been learned about staff who do come into potential contact with the virus working in these in these hotels so nick what what do we know now uh, about what happened in these hotels
1: well, they are insist... The government is insistent that there has no, not been a, a hotel quarantine breach, if you like, where, a, 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 you know, a, um, a staff member has breached protocols and caught this virus. They, you know, assure us that they... Reliably think it's been left on a hard surface somewhere, and the cleaner's picked it up off that. Regardless of that, though, I sat down and had a look at the Victorian uh, hotel quarantine inquiry, and one of the key recommendations is um, your staff need to b- be working only in those hotels because if you let them work elsewhere, that can be a problem for spread of this virus mm. because it's highly infectious. And we know now that um, at least one of these hotel staff was working at another hotel, a non-quarantine hotel. Uh, clearly, one was um, uh, making pizzas, and this pizza. So that is, a, I think, a legitimate uh, question as to um, why that has been well, allowed, it, and I guess it goes to because yeah, it yeah, goes yeah, to a bigger can, problem of, of a, insecure a, work, insecure
0: too. casual work, and having multiple jobs. And uh, you know, I saw the South Australian Police Commissioner saying, "Well, you can't stop people doing that." Uh, look, I think there is an argument as to whether if you're working in a really important job right now, which is in these hotel quarantine um, places, there's a risk. This is the great risk where there, there needs to be an adequate full-time wage uh, and a ban on the working elsewhere or Insecure someone else work. does it like police or yeah, defense.
2: Yeah. Insecure work these um, people are on low wages they they're trying to hustle as much money as they can often for struggling families. So anyone no one should be putting the blame on these people. These people are doing work that's mm. difficult and working multiple jobs. It's hard work, right? So we need to resolve it as at a community, at a sort of national, state level. There has to be implementation of new rules. There has to be. I was putting this to Simon Birmingham, who's not only a very senior minister in the Morrison government, but he's a South Australian yep. senator as well, so he's very close to it um, and close to the, the Marshall government. Uh, and and he he was saying, look, yeah, we do need to look at the fact that they're working in other places. I thought that was really
0: interesting. He said that's something that the AHPPC needs to look at. Uh, you know, he wasn't being prejudging, he said, but he clearly thinks it's an issue should they work multiple jobs. Look, it's worth pointing out, though... There's still an element of risk, even if they weren't working other jobs. They're going home and there's other people in their homes. They're going to the shops. There's other people in the shops. If this thing's spreading, Nick, the way you've described it, there's still a risk there. I mean, can you lock all the workers up and quarantine them for the entire time? No, and then you
2: have to look at hotel quarantining full stop. So if we are going to continue it because Australians want to come home, I am inundated every night on RN drive by texts after texts of people saying, I just don't want to this to happen i don't want people to be in those hotels because there's always going to be a vulnerability and so we're going to have outbreaks and we're going to keep going into lockdown yeah. so how do we resolve other, that
1: the one other thing that we ha- haven't mentioned is uh, is testing of those workers in hotels so mm-hmm. um apparently the ahppc had been deciding that nationwide we shouldn't be re- regularly testing these workers because uh that might actually discourage them from seeking a test if they felt unwell. Well, very quickly now that um, has, that situation has changed and there, there are now mandatory uh, weekly uh, COVID tests for staff in, in these quarantine yeah, hotels. and you, you so, wonder
0: why that didn't happen a long yeah, you time do. ago. But so South Australia now is not taking any return international travellers. Is is that right? That's right. We've just,
1: you know, we've pause pressed that. pause on that because, you know, clearly we are going we need that capacity in those hotels uh, if we have more
0: positive cases. Which is going to, to delay you know, the, the, the efforts to get more Aussies back by and Christmas. And that's what Simon
2: Birmingham conceded. He said, look, yeah, of course, um, yeah. Victoria hasn't restarted yet. South Australia's now paused. It's going to have implications for getting Australians yeah. home. And, look, and, and this,
1: yeah. is a, this is another important question for, for South Australians. Um, the vast majority of people in our Medi hotels... Are not South Australian residents, they are uh, mm. people who are from other states who have been sent here. Um, so, I know that is a view that some South Australians would hold is say, Well, hang on, our, our state is now uh, in lockdown as a result of people returning, not even to South Australia. So, that that is a question. I mean, what's I think what's some the answer? Will
0: ask. Do you send everyone to Christmas Island for two weeks before they're allowed back into the mainland of Australia? Um, you know, there's no perfect answer here, but. You know, even when clearly you know, 90, 95% of returned travellers, it's, it's working fine through hotel quarantine. It only takes the one case, doesn't it, for um, for, th- for things to take off? Um, what do we know, Nick, about what follows six days of uh, circuit-breaking hard lockdown? If we can call it that, well, we're being told there will be some sort
1: of uh, a period of 14 days of step-down restrictions. We haven't had any description yet of what sorts of things we could see there um interestingly the the some of the schools the public schools here um have actually scheduled uh pupil free days for next week which does make you wonder whether there's you know consideration about developing curriculums and 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 uh, mm. working at home um procedures for the end of the year well, the victorians um, can help we... with uh, with that regard yeah. i can tell you they've they, they yeah. actually did a
0: <laughs> terrific job
1: yeah, yeah indeed. We're, we're so, experts here, aren't we, David?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Give you some tips. So we, we've,
1: we've still got a bit to learn. Um, you know, in many ways it's good that it, it's the end of the year, but, mm. you know, in many ways, you know, if you think about it, if you're a retailer, uh, this is the important you know, time. December's this the busiest the, month exactly. of the year and you're um, uh, for at least the next little while you, you're going to be shut down.
2: Well, Nick, you have been so delightful to have in the party room. Get your mask on wear it at all times. David and I have embraced our masks, uh, Look, we? we
0: have. But on a serious <laughs> note, we are thinking of all of you in, in South Australia. It's a stressful time. People are worried and, yeah, businesses, of course, have big impact. Kids as well. So good luck to everyone there in South Australia. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, guys.
2: See you, Nick. Questions without notice. The,
0: the bells are ringing. That means it's question time. This week's question comes from Melina Smith in Brighton uh, and she says, hey, party room team, Uh, So I guess that's a shout-out to Fran as well. Uh, In lieu of the allegations of the sexist and boozy culture in Canberra, how do you both navigate that culture and protect yourselves from inappropriate behaviour? If you have any stories you'd like to share, please tell your loyal listeners. Love the show and keep up the great work. Well, um, Melina, perhaps that is better directed to PK and Fran because I certainly have not been uh, the victim of of, uh, that inappropriate behaviour after some 20 years in uh, Parliament House, but I'm a bloke.
2: I was about to say, I wonder why. <laughs> like, I was going to scratch my head for ages there. Look, Um. yeah, I've had moments of inappropriate mm. behaviour, I think it's fair to say. Um. Yeah. Uh, from from, polys, staffers, yeah. journos, all of the above? All of the above. Mm. The one um, characteristic they've all had is their gender. Yeah. Uh, I've... Never had any inappropriate moments with any women in in the house. But there have been times where I've thought, well, that's a little odd. That's a comment that you shouldn't have made. Uh, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. The way most women deal with it is the way they deal with it in the rest of your life. I'm sure you've even been through it, which is uh, where's the fire exit and how do I get out of this bar quickly? Yeah, and look, I,
0: I I should clarify. Obviously, you know, I've never been the subject, as I said, of inappropriate behaviour. But sure, I've I've um, witnessed, you know, been involved in conversations where things have been said. Um, you know, I'm not talking about actually uh, you know, harassment no. a, a, per se. But yeah, there, there are issues there. And look, I'm sure there are in other workplaces as well. But we are focused here on the problems in Parliament House, and there are certain characteristics of that workplace. Um, which are problematic. One is the the boarding uh, house nature of you know people coming from all corners uh, and spending you know two weeks at a time away from their families, working incredibly long hours and so on. But another is the booze. Um, there's a lot of alcohol goes around every night uh, in that building. You can go to any function in that building and free pause. pretty much. Uh, and you know some. Uh, You know, we've talked about this. Some of the more senior ministers and greyer beards in the building are are pretty good at avoiding those situations now. Um, And I certainly found that, you know, some years into my time there that you just just need to be careful, right? I mean, this goes to any workplace, but it's easy to... um, get on the source every night in Parliament House, but it does you no good. Uh, so people do need to be aware of that, need to be careful of it. It is
2: a problem in Parliament. It is a problem. And look, to, to, you know, there's a range of characters in the Parliament. Mm. There are men who can drink too much and don't act inappropriately. Uh, and then there are men who drink too much and act inappropriately. And there are men who don't need to drink anything and act inappropriately. So there are many mm. categories. Um, I've witnessed... Uh, Some things that I've thought don't look right to me. I've had, I've been the subject of commentary which I've thought has been very inappropriate Mm. Um, and I've called it out many times. Sometimes though, and no woman will be surprised by this, David, I haven't called it out because I've been deeply uncomfortable or I've made a joke about it, which is very common for women to do. Like I often will make a joke like joking is the way I cope Mm. with feeling uncomfortable. So yeah, it happens. Um, You know, has it been enough to, to make a sexual harassment claim or to, no, not for me, but I'm sure it's happened many times to other women. Yeah, and look, I
0: I would say, though, some of the descriptions of the toxic culture in Parliament House are are a little overdone from my experience. It may be the experience of some, but I do think there are also, I need to say this, in Parliament, in both uh, amongst the politicians, the staff and the press gallery, some highly professional people who act appropriately, who don't, you know, cheat on their partners and, and get pissed every night... That's not everyone in Parliament House. There are some fine, fine people there that um, I just think we need to point that out. Oh,
2: absolutely, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have survived without those people. I have some great relationships with some very senior, decent men who are deeply respectful. Um, If they allowed me, I'd name them, but they'd be really weird about that. (laughs) Okay, Um, although they might like it secretly because they've been put in the good corner. That's it from us this week. David, Uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. Thanks, PK. See ya.